chapter twenty of cleopatra by georg ebers translated by mary j safford this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty the property of the freedman pyrrhus was a flat rock in the northern part of the harbour scarcely larger than the garden of didymus at the corner of the muses a desolate spot where neither tree nor blade of grass grew it was called the serpent island though the inhabitants had long since rid it of these dangerous guests which lived in great numbers in the neighbouring cliffs not even the poorest crops would grow in soil so hostile to life and those who chose it for a home were compelled to bring even the drinking-water from the continent this desert around which hovered gulls sea-swallows and sea-eagles had been for several weeks the abode of the fugitives dion and barine they still occupied the two rooms which had been assigned to them on their arrival during the day the sun beat fiercely down upon the yellow chalky rock there was no shade save in the house and at the foot of a towering cliff in the southern part of the island the fisherman's watch-tower there were no works of human hands save a little temple of poseidon an altar of isis the large house owned by pyrrhus solidly constructed by alexandrian masons and a smaller one for the freedmen's married sons and their families a long wooden frame on which nets were strung to dry rose on the shore near it towards the north in the open sea was the anchorage of the larger sea-going ships and the various skiffs and boats of the fisher-folk dionicus pyrrhus's youngest son who was still unmarried built new boats and repaired the old ones his two strong taciturn brothers with their wives and children his father pyrrhus his wife and their youngest child a daughter dione a few dogs cats and chickens composed the population of the serpent island such were the surroundings of the newly wedded pair who had been reared in the capital at first many things were strange to them but they accommodated themselves to circumstances with a good grace and both had admitted to each other long before that life had never been so equable and peaceful during the first week dion's wound and fever still harassed him but the prediction of pyrrhus that the pure fresh sea air would benefit the sufferer had been fulfilled and the monotonous days had passed swiftly enough to the young bride in caring for the invalid the wife of pyrrhus mother as they all called her had proved to be a skilful nurse and her daughters-in-law and young dion were faithful and nimble assistants during the time of anxiety and nursing marine had formed a warm friendship for them 
if the taciturn men avoided using a single unnecessary word the women were all the more ready to gossip and it was a pleasure to talk to pretty dione who had grown up on the island and was eager to hear about the outside world dion had long since left his couch and the house and each day looked happier more content with himself and his surroundings at first his feverish visions had shown him his dead mother pointing anxiously at his new-made wife as if to warn him against her during his convalescence he remembered them and they conjured up the doubt whether barine could endure the solitude of this desolate cliff whether she would not lose the bright serenity of soul whose charm constantly increased would it be any marvel if she should pine with longing in this solitude and even suffer physically from their severe privations the perception that love now supplied the place of all which she had lost pleased him but he forbade himself to expect that this condition of affairs could be lasting nothing save exaggerated self-conceit would induce the hope but he must have undervalued his own power of attraction or barine's love for with each passing week the cheerful serenity of her disposition gained fresh steadfastness and charm he too had the same experience it was long since he had felt so vigorous untrammelled and free from care his sole regret was the impossibility of sharing the political life of the city at this critical period and at times he felt some little anxiety concerning the fate and management of his property though even if his estates were confiscated he would still retain a competence which he had left in the hands of a trustworthy money-changer barine shared everything that concerned him even these moods and this led him to tell her about the affairs of the city and the state in which she had formerly taken little interest his property in alexandria and the provinces with what glad appreciation she listened when she went out with him from the northern anchorage on the open sea or sat during long winter evenings making nets an art which she had learned from dione her lute had been sent to her from the city and what pleasure her singing afforded her husband and herself how joyously their hosts old and young listened to the melody a few book-rolls had also come and dion enjoyed discussing their contents with barine he himself read very little for he was rarely indoors during the day the fourth week after his arrival he was able to aid with arms whose muscles had been steeled in the palestra the men in their fishing and dionikos in his boat-building the close constant uninterrupted companionship of the married pair revealed to each 
unexpected treasures in the other which perhaps might have remained forever concealed in city life here each was everything to the other and this undisturbed mutual life soon inspired that blissful consciousness of inseparable union which usually appears only after years as the fairest fruit of a marriage founded on love doubtless there were hours when marine longed to see her mother and others who were dear to her but the letters which arrived from time to time prevented this yearning from becoming a source of actual pain prudence required them to restrict their intercourse with the city but whenever pyrrhus went to market letters reached the island delivered at the fish auction in the harbour by anukis charmian's nubian maid to the old freedman who had become her close friend so the time came when dion could say without self-deception that barine was content in this solitude and that his love and companionship supplied the place of the exciting changeful life of the capital though letters came from her mother sister or charmian her grandfather gorgias or archibius not one transformed the wish to leave her desolate hiding-place into actual home-sickness but each brought fresh subjects for conversation and among them many which by arousing the interest of both united them more firmly the second month of their flight a letter arrived from archibius in which he informed them that they might soon form plans for their return for alexis the syrian had proved a malicious traitor he had not performed the commission entrusted to him of winning herod to antony's cause but treacherously deserted his patron and remained with the king of the jews when with unprecedented shamelessness he sought octavianus to sell the secrets of his egyptian benefactor he was arrested and executed in his own home laodicea now their friend continued cleopatra's eyes as well as her husband's were opened to the true character of barine's most virulent accuser the influence of philostratus too was of course destroyed by his brother's infamous deed yet they must wait a little longer for caesarion had joined the ephebi and antyllus had been invested with the toga Wirilis. they could now undertake many things independently and caesarion often made remarks which showed that he would not cease to lay plots for barine dion feared nothing from the royal boy on his own account but for his wife's sake he dared not disregard his friend's warning this was hard for though he still felt happy on the island he longed to install the woman he loved in his own house and every impulse of his nature urged him to be present at the meetings of the council in these fateful times 
therefore he was more than ready to risk returning to the city but barine entreated him so earnestly not to exchange the secure happiness they enjoyed here for a greater one behind which might lurk the heaviest misfortune that he yielded another letter from charmian soon proved the absolute necessity of continuing to exercise caution even from the island they could perceive that everything known as festal pleasure was rife in alexandria and bore along in its mad revelry the court and the citizens when the wind blew from the south it brought single notes of inspiring music or indistinct sounds of the wildest popular rejoicing the fisherman's daughter dione often called them to the strand to admire the galleys adorned with fabulous splendour garlanded with flowers and echoing with the music of lutes and the melody of songs sails of purple embroidered silk bore the vessels over the smooth tide once the watchers even distinguished upon a barge richly adorned with gilded carving young female slaves who with floating hair and transparent sea-green robes handled in the guise of nereids light sandalwood oars with golden blades often the breeze bore to the island the perfumes which surrounded the galleys and on calm nights the magnificent ships surrounded by the magical illumination of many-hued lamps swept across the mirror-like surface of the waves among the voyagers were gods goddesses and heroes who standing or reclining in beautiful groups represented scenes from the myths and history on the deck of the queen's superb vessel guests crowned with wreaths lay on purple couches under garlands of flowers eating choice viands and draining golden wine-cups on other nights the illumination of the shore of the bruchium rendered it as bright as day the huge dome of the serapium on the rakotis covered with lamps towered above the flat roofs of the city like the starry firmament of a smaller world which had descended to earth every temple and palace was transformed into a giant candelabrum and the rows of lamps on the quay stretched like tendrils of light from the dazzlingly illuminated marble temple of poseidon to the palace at lochias steeped in radiance when pyrrhus or one of his sons returned from market they described the festivals and shows banquets races and endless pleasure excursions arranged by the court which made the citizens fairly hold their breath it was a prosperous time for the fishermen the queen's cooks took all their wares and paid a liberal price january had come when another letter arrived from charmian dion and barine had watched in vain for any unusual events on cleopatra's birthday but on antony's a few days later there was plenty of music and shouting and in the evening an unusually magnificent illumination two days after this letter was delivered to pyrrhus by his dusky friend anukis 
her inquiry whether he thought it prudent to convey visitors to his guests was answered in the negative for since octavianus had been in asia the harbour swarmed with the boats of spies and a single act of imprudence might bring ruin charmian's letter too was even better calculated to curb dion's increasing desire to return home than the fisherman's warning true the beginning contained good news of barine's relatives and then informed dion that his uncle the keeper of the seal was fairly revelling in bliss his inventive gifts were taxed more than ever every day brought a festival every night magnificent banquets one spectacle excursion or hunting party followed another in the theatres the odium the hippodrome no more brilliant performances races naval battles gladiatorial struggles and combats between beasts had been given even before actium dion himself had formerly attended the entertainments of those who belonged to the court circle the society of inimitable livers it had been revived again but antony called them the comrades of death this was significant every one knows that the end is drawing near and imitates the pharaoh to whom the oracle promised six years of life and who convicted it of falsehood and made them twelve by carousing during the night also the queen's meeting with her husband which she had previously reported had been magnificent at that time she wrote we hoped that a more noble life would begin and mark antony awakened and elevated by his rekindled love would regain his former heroic power but we were mistaken cleopatra it is true toiled unceasingly but her lover with his enormous bunch of roses gave the signal for the maddest revelry which the imagination of the wildest devotee of pleasure could conceive the performances of the inimitable livers were far surpassed by those of the comrades of death antony is at their head and he whose giant frame resists even the most unprecedented demands succeeds in stupefying himself and forgetting the impending ruin when he comes to us after a night of revelry his eyes sparkle as brightly his deep voice has as clear a ring as at the beginning of the banquet the queen is his goddess and who could remain unmoved when the giant bows obediently to the nod of his delicate sovereign and devises and offers the most unprecedented things to win a smile from her lips the changeful impetuous wooing of youth lies far behind him but his homage which the ephebi of to-day would perhaps term antiquated has always seemed to me as if a mountain were bending before a star the stranger who sees her in his company believes her a happy woman amid the fabulous radiance of the festal array when all who surround her admire worship and strew flowers in her path one might believe that the old sunny days had returned 
but when we are alone how rarely i see her smile then she plans for the tomb which under gorgias's direction is rapidly rising and considers with him the best method of rendering it an inaccessible place of retreat she decided everything down to the carving on the stone sarcophagi in addition there are to be rooms and chambers in the lower story for the reception of her treasures beneath them she has had corridors made for the pitch and straw which if the worst should come are to be lighted she will then give to the flames the gold and silver gems and jewels ebony and ivory the costly spices in short all her valuables the pearls alone are worth many kingdoms who can blame her if she prefers to destroy them rather than leave them for the foe the garden in which you grew up arene is now the scene of the happy busy life led by alexander and the twins there under my brother's guidance they frolic build and dig cleopatra goes to it whenever she longs for repose after the pursuit of pleasures which have lost their zest when the day before yesterday antony crowned with ivy as the new dionysus drove up the street of the king in the golden chariot drawn by tamed lions to bring her the new isis from the lochias in a lotus flower made of silver and white paste drawn by four snow-white steeds she pointed to the glittering train and said between the quiet of the philosopher's garden where i began my life and still feel most at ease and the grave where nothing disturbs my last repose stretches the street of the king with this deafening tumult this empty splendour it is mine oh child it was very different in former days she loved mark antony with passionate ardour he was the first man in the world and yet he bowed before the supremacy of her will the longing of the awakening heart the burning ambition which already kindled the soul of the child had alike found satisfaction and the world beheld how the mortal woman cleopatra for her lover and herself could steep this meagre life with the joys of the immortals he was grateful for them and the most generous of men laid at the feet of the great queen of the east the might of rome and the kings of two quarters of the globe these years were spent by both in one long revel his marriage with octavia brought the first awakening it was hard and painful he had not deserted cleopatra for a woman's sake but on account of his endangered power and sovereignty but the unloved octavia constrained him to look up to her with respectful admiration nay she became dear to him a fierce battle for him and his heart arose between the two it was fought with very different weapons and cleopatra conquered the revel the dream began again then came actium the disenchantment the awakening the fall the flight from the world 
our object was not to let him relapse into intoxication to rouse the hero's strength and courage from their slumber render him for love's sake a fellow-combatant in the common cause but he had become accustomed to see in her the giver of ecstasy the only thing that he still desired was to drain the cup of pleasure in her society till all was over she sees this grieves over it and leaves no means of rousing him to fresh energy untried yet how rarely he rallies his powers to earnest labour while she is fortifying the mouths of the nile and the frontiers of the country building ship after ship arming and negotiating she cannot resist him when he summons her to new pleasures though so many of the traits which rendered him great and noble have vanished she cannot give up the old love and clings steadfastly to him because because i know not why a woman's loving heart does not question motives and laws besides he is the father of her children and in playing with them he regains the old joyousness of mood so enthralling to the heart since archibius has taken charge of them they can dispense with euphronion their tutor the clever man knows rome octavianus and those who surround him so he was chosen as an envoy his object was to induce the conqueror to transfer the sovereignty of egypt to the boys antonius helios and alexander but caesar vouchsafed no answer to the mediator in antony's affairs nay did not even grant him an audience to cleopatra octavianus promised friendly treatment and the fulfilment of her wish concerning the boys if and now came the repetition of the old demand she would put antony out of the world or deliver him into his hands this demand which contains base treachery was impossible for her noble soul since she had resolved to build the tomb granting it became impossible yet octavianus made every effort to tempt her to the base deed true the death of this one man would have spared much bloodshed the caesar knows how to choose his tools he sent here as negotiator a clever young man who possessed great charms of mind and person no plan to prejudice the queen against her husband and persuade her to commit the treachery was left untried he went so far as to assure cleopatra that in former years she had won the caesar's heart and that he still loved her she accepted these assurances at their true value and remained steadfast antony at first paid no heed to the intriguer but when he learned what means he employed and especially how he made use of the surrender of one of caesar's murderers which he himself had long regretted to brand him as an ungrateful traitor he would not have been mark antony if he had accepted it quietly he was completely his old self when he ordered the smooth fellow who however had come as the ambassador of the mighty victor to be scourged sent him back to rome and wrote a letter to octavianus 
octavianus in which he complained of the man's arrogance and presumption adding spite of my heavy heart i cannot help smiling when i think of it that misfortune had rendered him unusually irritable yet if his action perhaps displeased caesar he might treat his freedman hipparchus who was in his power as he had served thyrsus you see that his gay arrogance has not deserted him trouble slips away from him as rain is shaken from the coarse military cloak which he wore in the parthian war and therefore it cannot exert its purifying power when we consider that a few years ago this man as it were doubled himself when peril was most threatening his conduct now on the eve of the decisive struggle is intelligible only to those who know him as we do if he fights he will no longer do so to save himself or even to conquer but to die an honourable death if he still enjoys the pleasures offered he believes that he can thus mitigate for himself the burden of defeat and diminish the grandeur of the conqueror's victory in the eyes of the world at least a man who can still revel like antony is only half vanquished yet the lofty tone of his mind was lowered the surrender of the murderer of caesar his name was terulius proves it and this barine tell your husband so this is what fills me with anxiety and compels me to entreat you not to think of returning home yet antony is now the jovial companion of his son and permits antyllus to share all his own pleasures of course he heard of caesarion's passion and is disposed to help the poor fellow he has often said that nothing would be better served to rouse the dreamer from torpor than your charming vivacity as the earth could scarcely have swallowed you up you would be found he too should be glad to hear you sing again i know that search will be made for you how imperiously this state of affairs requires you to exercise caution needs no explanation on the other hand you may find comfort in the tidings that cleopatra intends to send caesarion with his tutor rhodon to ethiopia by way of the island of philae archibius heard through timagenes that octavianus considers the son of caesar whose face so wonderfully resembles his father's a dangerous person and this opinion is the boy's death warrant antyllus too is going on a journey his destination is asia where he is to seek to propitiate octavianus and make him new offers as you know he was betrothed to his daughter julia the queen ceased long ago to believe in the possibility of victory yet spite of all the demands of the comrades of death and her own care she toils unweariedly in preparing for the defence of the country she is doubtless the only member of that society who thinks seriously of the approaching end 
now that the tomb is rising she ponders constantly upon death she who was taught by epicurus to strive for freedom from pain and is so sensitive to the slightest bodily suffering is still seeking a path which with the least agony will lead to the eternal rest for which she longs iris and the younger pupils of olympus are aiding her the old man furnishes all sorts of poisons which she tries upon various animals nay recently even on criminals sentenced to death all these experiments seem to prove that the bite of the uraeus serpent whose image on the egyptian crown symbolizes the sovereign's instant power over life and death still stills the heart most swiftly and with the least suffering how terrible these things are what pain it causes to see the being one loves most the mother of the fairest children so cruelly heighten the anguish of parting choose death as it were for a constant companion amid the whirl of the gayest amusements she daily looks all his terrors in the face yet with proud contempt turns her back upon the bridge which might perhaps enable for her enable her for a time to escape the monster this is grand worthy of her and never have i loved her more tenderly you too must think of her kindly she deserves it a noble heart which sees itself forced to pity a foe easily forgives and was she ever your enemy i have written a long long letter to solace your seclusion from the world and relieve my own heart have patience a little while longer the time is not far distant when fate itself will release you from exile how often your relatives archibius and gorgias whom i now see frequently in the presence of the queen long to visit you but they too believe that it might prove a source of danger the warnings in this letter were confirmed by another from archibius and soon after they heard that caesarion had really sailed up the nile for ethiopia with his tutor rhodon and antyllus had been sent to asia to visit octavianus the latter had received him it is true but sent him home without making any pledges these tidings were not brought by letter but by gorgias himself whose visit surprised them one evening late in march rarely had a guest received a more joyous welcome when he entered the bare room barine was making a net and telling the fisherman's daughter dione the story of the wanderings of ulysses dion too listened attentively now and then correcting or explaining her descriptions while carving a head of poseidon for the prow of a newly built boat as gorgias unexpectedly crossed the threshold the dim light of the lamp fed by kiki oil seemed transformed into sunshine how brightly their eyes sparkled how joyous were their exclamations of welcome and surprise then came questions answers news gorgias was obliged to share the family supper which had only waited the return of the father who had brought the guest the fresh oysters langustae and other dishes served tasted more delicious to the denizen of the city than the most delicious banquets of the comrades of death to which he was now frequently invited by the queen 
all that pyrrhus said voluntarily and told his sons in reply to their questions was so sensible and related to matters which because they were new to gorgias seemed so fascinating that when dion's good wine was served he declared that if pyrrhus would receive him he too would search for pursuers and be banished here when the three again sat alone before the plain clay mixing vessel it seemed to the lonely couple as if the best part of the city life which they had left behind had found its way to them and what did they not have to say to one another dion and barine talked of their hermit life gorgias of the queen in the tomb which was at the same time a treasure chamber the slanting walls were built as firmly as if they were intended to last for centuries and defy a violent assault the centre of the lower story was formed by a lofty hall of vast dimensions in whose midst were the large marble sarcophagi men were working busily upon the figures in relief intended for the decoration of the sides and lids this hall whose low arched ceiling was supported by three pairs of heavy columns was furnished like a reception-room the couches candelabra and altars were already being made charmian had kept the fugitives well informed in the subterranean chambers at the side of the hall and in the second story which could not be commenced until the ceiling was completed store-rooms were to be made and below and beside them were passages for ventilation and the storage of combustible materials gorgias regretted that he could not show his friend the hall which was perhaps the handsomest and most costly he had ever created the noblest material brown porphyry emerald green serpentine and the dark varieties of marble had been used and the mosaic and brass doors which were nearing completion were masterpieces of alexandrian art to have all this destroyed was a terrible thought but even more unbearable was that of its object to receive the body of the queen again rapturous admiration of this greatest and noblest of women led gorgias to enthusiastic rhapsodies until dion exercised his office of soberer and barine asked tidings of her mother her grandparents and her sister there was nothing but good news to be told true the architect had to wage a daily battle with the old philosopher who termed it an abuse of hospitality to remain so long at his friends with his whole family but thus far gorgias had won the victory even against berenike who wished to take her father and his household to her own home cleopatra had purchased the house and garden of didymus at thrice their value the architect added he was now a wealthy man and had commissioned him to build a new mansion the land facing the sea and near the museum had been found but the handsome residence would not be completed until summer the dry egyptian air would have permitted him to roof it sooner but there were many of helena's wishes most of them very sensible ones to be executed 
barine and dion glanced significantly at each other but the architect perceiving it exclaimed your mute language is intelligible enough and i confess that for five months helena has seemed to me the most attractive of maidens i see too that she has some regard for me but as soon as i stand before her the queen i mean and hear her voice it seems as if a tempest swept away every thought of helena and it is not in my nature to deceive any one how can i woo a girl whom i so deeply honour your sister barine when the image of another rules my soul dion reminded him of his own words that the queen was loved only as a goddess and without waiting for his reply turned the conversation to other topics it was three hours after midnight when pyrrhus warned gorgias that it was time for departure when the fisherman's fleetest boat was at last bearing him back to the city he wondered whether girls who before marriage lived like helena in undisturbed seclusion would really be better wives and more content with every lot than the much-courted barine whom dion had led from the gayest whirl of life in the capital to the most desolate solitude this delightful evening was followed by a day of excitement and grave anxiety it had been necessary to conceal the young couple from the collector's officials who took from pyrrhus part of his last year's savings and the large new boat which he used to go out on the open sea the preparations for war required large sums all vessels suitable for the purpose were seized for the fleet and all residents of the city and country shared the same fate as pyrrhus even the temple treasures were confiscated and yet no one could help saying to himself that the vast sums which through these pitiless extortions flowed into the treasury were used for the pleasures of the court as well as for the equipment of the fleet and the army yet so great was the people's love for the queen so high their regard for their independent for the independence of egypt so bitter their hate of rome that there was no rebellion how earnestly cleopatra amid all the extravagant revels from which she could not too frequently absent herself toiled to advance the military preparations could be seen even by the exiles from their cliff for work in two dockyards was continued day and night and the harbour was filled with vessels ships of war were continually moving to and fro and from the serpent island they witnessed constantly often by starlight the drilling of the oarsmen and of whole squadrons upon the open sea sometimes a magnificent state galley appeared on whose deck was antony who inspected the hastily equipped fleet to make the newly recruited sailors one of those kindling speeches in which he was a master hard to surpass two sons of pyrrhus were now numbered in the crews of the recently built warships they had been impressed into the service in april and though dion had placed a large sum at their father's disposal to secure their release the attempt was unsuccessful so there had been sorrow and tears in the contented little colony of human beings on the lonely cliff and when dionysus and dionicus had a day's leave of absence to visit their relatives they complained of the cruel haste with which the young men were drilled and wearied to exhaustion and spoke of the sons of citizens and peasants who had been dragged from their villages their parents and their business to be trained for seamen 
there was great indignation among them and they listened only too readily to the agitators who whispered how much better they would have fared on the gallows of octavianus pyrrhus entreated his sons not to join any attempt at mutiny the women on the contrary would have approved anything which promised to release the youths from their severe service and their bright cheerfulness was transformed into anxious depression barine too was no longer the same she had lost her joyous activity her eyes were often wet with tears and she moved with drooping head as if some heavy care oppressed her was it the heat of april was it desert winds which had brought the transformation had longing for the changeful exciting life of former days at last overpower her was solitude becoming unendurable was her husband's love no longer sufficient to replace the many pleasures she had sacrificed no it could not be that never had she gazed with more devoted tenderness into dion's face than when entirely alone with him in shady nooks she who in such hours looked the very embodiment of happiness and contentment certainly was neither ill nor sorrowful dion on the contrary held his head high early and late and appeared as proud and self-conscious as though life was showing him its fairest face yet he had heard that his estates had been sequestrated and that he owed it solely to the influence of archibius and his uncle that his property like that of so many others had not been added to the royal treasures but what disaster could he not have speedily vanquished in these days a great joy the greatest which the immortals can bestow upon human beings was dawning for him and his young wife and in may the women on the island shared her blissful hope pyrrhus brought from the city an altar and a marble statue of eleutheria the goddess of birth called by the romans lucina which his friend anukis had given him in charmian's name for the young wife she had again spoken of the serpents which lived in such numbers in the neighbouring islands and her question whether it would be difficult to capture one alive was answered by the freedman in the negative the image of the goddess and the altar were erected beside the other sanctuaries and how often the stone was anointed by barine and the women of the fisherman's family dion vowed to the goddess a beautiful temple on the cliff and in the city if she would be gracious to his beloved young wife when in june the noonday sun blazed most fiercely the fisherman brought to the cliff helena barine's sister and chloris dion's nurse who had been a faithful assistant of his mother and afterwards managed the female slaves of the household how joyously and gratefully barine held out her arms to her sister her mother had been prevented from coming only by the warning that her disappearance would surely attract the attention of the spies and the latter were very alert for mark antony had not yet given up the pursuit of the singer nor had the attorney philostratus recalled the proclamation offering two talents for the capture of dion and both the latter's palace and berenike's house were constantly watched it seemed more difficult for the quiet helena to accommodate herself to this solitude than for her gayer natured sister 
plainly as she showed her love for barine she often lapsed into reverie and every evening she went to the southern side of the cliff and gazed towards the city where her grandparents doubtless sorely missed her spite of the careful attention bestowed upon them in gorgias's house eight days had passed since her arrival and life in this wilderness seemed more distasteful than on the first and the second the longing for her grandparents too appeared to increase for that day she had gone to the shore even under the burning rays of the noonday sun to gaze towards the city how dearly she loved the old people but dion's conjecture that the tears sparkling in helena's eyes when she entered their room at dusk were connected with another resident of the capital spite of his wife's indignant denial appeared to be correct for a short time after clear voices were heard in front of the house and when a deep hearty laugh rang out dion started up exclaiming gorgias never laughs in that way except when he has had some unusual piece of good fortune he hurried out as he spoke and gazed around but notwithstanding the bright moonlight he could see nothing except father pyrrhus on his way back to the anchorage but dion's ears were keen and he fancied he heard subdued voices on the other side of the dwelling he followed the sound without delay and when he turned the corner of the building stopped short in astonishment exclaiming as a low cry rose close before him good evening gorgias i'll see you later i won't interrupt you a few rapid steps took him back to barine and as he whispered i saw helena out in the moonlight soothing her longing for her grandparents in gorgias's arms she clapped her hands and said smiling that's the way one loses good manners in this solitude to disturb the first meeting of a pair of lovers but gorgias treated us in the same way in alexandria so he is now paid in his own coin the architect soon entered the room with helena leaning on his arm hour by hour he had missed her more and more painfully and on the eighth day found it impossible to endure life's burden longer without her he now protested that he could approach her mother and grandparents as a suitor with a clear conscience for on the third day after helena's departure the relation between him and the queen had changed in cleopatra's presence the image of the granddaughter of didymus became even more vivid than that of the peerless sovereign had formerly been in helena's outside of the pages of poetry he had never experienced longing like that which had tortured him during the past few days End of chapter twenty